got your Bibles with you, go ahead and be turning to John chapter number 4. John chapter number 4 is where we'll be at today. And uh, hopefully you got something out of Sunday school. And uh, been thinking on this passage here for a while in John and uh, praying about what the Lord had me to bring out of this. But uh, uh, we've been in, we've been doing a study for a little while or a series or whatever you want to call it. I don't know what it is I do. Anyway, uh, we've been doing a series here uh, through the Gospels and we've been looking at Jesus' life. We've been seeking to refocus on him and we can get distracted by so many things. Even in uh, in the Bible, we can get distracted by the stories. We can get distracted by the different characters. We can get distracted by different topics and subjects and prophecy and all these other things. But what it comes back down to is that we need to be uh, refocused on Jesus. If we put him uh, first, if we put him high and lifted up, then we're going to uh, be at a much better place in our lives. And so we don't want to lose track because honestly, uh, Christianity without Christ is going to be pretty... Uh, pretty worthless, right? And so uh, over the past couple of weeks, we've been uh, bringing these thoughts out. And last week, we, we talked about John the Baptist, and uh, he had baptized Jesus. Uh, he had endorsed Jesus' ministry, if you will. And Jesus was beginning to, uh, was beginning to steal some of John's thunder, if you will. Uh, his ministry was outgrowing. He was outperforming, if you will, uh, John. And John's disciples were growing concerned about this. They were becoming a little bit jealous about it. And they said, John, you started out this ministry. You have got these multitudes that's been following you. You've been preaching and have this movement going. And then Jesus came and you endorsed him. And now Jesus is drawing bigger crowds than you are. Uh, Jesus is starting to take some of your followers away and so, John, what are we going to do about Jesus ruining the things that you have started? And so they saw Jesus as being a threat. And they said that uh, uh, we've worked so hard, we've done so much, we've got this movement going, and he is in a place where he is going to take it all from us. He's going to ruin it all. And so John was quick to correct their thinking. See, they thought that what they were doing was more important than what God was doing. They thought that what they were doing was for their own purposes, for their own reasons, and that somehow Jesus was going to uh, be a threat to that. He was going to be a problem to that. And so John told them that Jesus wasn't a threat, that in fact, Jesus was the entire reason, the purpose why John was doing what he was doing, and that all of John's life and his ministry wasn't in competition with Jesus. It was to point, with Je point to Jesus. And so John told his disciples, he says, I must decrease and Jesus must increase. Mm -hmm. And so that put it all in perspective for the, the disciples of John. And he said, I must decrease. And so the message for us that we received from this last week was that whenever we're tempted to make this life all about us, whenever we think that it revolves around us, and we get the wrong idea that somehow, if we allow God to have his way, if we decide to follow after Jesus, that somehow that is a threat to us, that that's going to cause problems in our life. We've got a wrong perspective. But instead, that 
We have this life to bring him glory. We have this life to point others to him. And so he is not a threat to us, but he gives purpose. He gives direction to our lives. If we build this life upon ourselves, upon our desires, on our mission, we have built it upon a weak foundation. We have built it upon sand and it's going to crumble. Mm -hmm. But if we make this life about Jesus, we have built it upon the rock and we can withstand the most violent of storms because we have focused on him and we have made it about him. And so today, what we're going to be looking at, we're going to continue uh, refocusing on Jesus, but what we're going to find here is in our passage, uh, Jesus' ministry is growing, uh, his fame is spreading, and the disciples are probably as excited as they can be riding Jesus' coattails. They see his uh, multitudes growing, they see his influence growing, they see great things happening, And in the disciples' minds, the sky's the limit. They see themselves on an upward trajectory. If you could put this in uh, the way that they're looking at it, they're saying that the sky's the limit on this. We are going to be ruling and reigning with Jesus down here. Mm -hmm. Just look, if this continues the way that it's been going, it's not going to be too long before all of Judea is going to be following after him. And so it would be exciting for the disciples. But also we find that the Pharisees were taking note of this because Jesus has exceeded John the Baptist. They put Jesus in somewhat of a competition with John. And it says that he's baptizing more people than John. And so they're paying attention to him and they've now got the crosshairs on Jesus. They're saying he is a threat to us. He is a problem for us. And we were worried about John before. Now we've got to pay attention to this Jesus. And so Jesus makes a decision in the midst of all this, and it was a decision that would cause confusion both in his enemies and in his followers. And so let's look at John chapter number four, starting with verse number one. It says, When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made more or made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee, and he must needs go through Samaria. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave his son Joseph. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we come to you today. Thank you for your blessings. Lord, we thank you for this time in your house. Lord, we thank you for those who have uh, gathered out here, Lord. And Lord, we thank you so much for your word. And we ask you, Lord, that we could uh, just take a little bit of time and and just get our minds away from the world and away from our obligations and the things that we have going on on the outside and help us, Lord, to refocus on you and help us, Lord, to see these things from your perspective, Lord. And Lord, I pray that you would use these things that we're looking at to realign our focus, our attention, help us to see things the way that you would have us to. And Lord, help us to quit falling into these ruts and these wrong thought processes and things. And Lord, just guide and direct us, Lord. We thank you so much for all that you do. I ask you, Lord, help me as I pray. You should be with each person they get from the service, exactly that which they need. And all these things I pray in Jesus' name. Mm-hmm. Amen. So in the days leading up to this moment, I can imagine the conversations that was taking place amongst the disciples. As Jesus is out there, he's almost receiving uh, rock star like treatment. 
Everywhere he's going, masses are following. People are calling out to him. He is healing people. He is doing miracles. He is confronting the people that everyone else was afraid of. He is kind of making waves and he is starting a movement. Okay? And the disciples are on in the beginning of this. They got one at the beginning and they are going to ride it to the top. And so they're probably thinking as things are really taking off here, they are discussing where their position is going to be at in all this. We find that there's other places in scripture where they actually openly discuss and say, where are we going to be in his kingdom? What is going to be our benefit from following him? What are we going to receive from this? Uh, one, uh, Two of the disciples, their mother comes to Jesus and says, grant that my two sons, one will sit on your right hand and one that will sit on your left hand in your kingdom. This gives us an idea of the mindset of the disciples. They are looking at this and they're saying, our ship has come. It is time for us to just absolutely prosper for us to advance. We're going to be part of his entourage. We're going to be part of his government. We are going to rule and reign with Christ. It is exciting. And they were hoping that they were going to take over with him. They were going to be the big shots. But just whenever things were starting to really start to ramp up, Jesus comes to them and says, it's time for us to leave Judea. Just when things are getting big, just when things are growing, just when things are getting exciting, Jesus says, okay, boys, let's pack it up and go elsewhere. And so in their minds, this isn't making sense. They don't understand why would we leave all of this? And he says, we're going to go up to the hill country of Galilee. We're going to leave the city and we're going to go out to the little towns and villages. Imagine a politician. I, I hate to compare Jesus with a politician. okay? <laughs> but imagine a politician. If he is going out and he's trying to get votes, he's going to be going to the population centers, right? He's not going to go out to the little tiny towns and villages. He's going to be going to where the votes are at, where the people are. And so they would be looking at Jesus and saying, are you crazy? Because if we are going to have a movement, we need to keep this momentum going. If we're going to gain crowds and popularity and position, we need to be where the people are at. Hey, Jesus, if you're content on trying to transform the Jewish religion, if you're wanting to reform Judaism, you need to be where religion's at. You need to be where the people are interested in religion and in politics and all these things. If you are wanting to do all of these things that we think we're supposed to be doing, you need to stay in Judea. You need to stay in Jerusalem. Why would you leave all this to go to Galilee? And if all of that wasn't enough, he says, by the way, I'm not just going up to Galilee. I'm going through Samaria. And now for anyone who's not familiar with this, Samaria was a country in the middle of a country. And you had Israel and Judea would have been the southern part. Galilee would have been the northern part. And in between that, you would have had Samaria, which was composed of half Jew half Gentiles, which was a country that worshiped God, sort of. They had adopted the religion of Jeroboam, where he made the golden calves to be worshiped rather than the people going down to Jerusalem. 
And then whenever the pagans came in and they married uh, the Jews, they brought in Jeroboam's religion, mixed it with paganism, and had their own religion. And so they had a bastardized religion. They had a, uh, uh, a crossbred uh, culture here. And the Jews looked at that and they said their religion is impure. Their bloodline, their lineage is impure. And so they are unclean. They are contaminated. We hate them. We want nothing to do with them. And so anytime the Jews were traveling from Jerusalem up into Galilee, they wouldn't go directly through Samaria. They would go around Samaria and avoid it altogether. And so for the disciples, they would look at that and say, if you're going to be a leader, if you're going to uh, start a movement and you go through Samaria, you're going to lose all your people. Not only are you abandoning the crowds while they're excited, and you're, all that's going to cool off and that's going to go away. But whenever they see the decisions you're making, they're going to question you. They're going to leave you in droves. Jesus, nothing that you are doing is making sense. And so he's not, in their minds, he's not going to be leaving the big crowds for the small ones. He's not going to be go through, going through the unpopular place here. He's not going to go away from the religious system. But this is exactly what he told them that he's going to do. And so they said, there's all kinds of flaws to your plan. None of this makes sense. It seems crazy to us. And so as we set, as Christians, as we set to follow Jesus, oftentimes the way that he's going to lead us is not going to make sense. Yeah. Y'all realize that? The Bible tells us that the wisdom of this world is foolishness to God. And that his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And so oftentimes the directions that he leads us, the things that he tells us, the instructions that he gives us are not going to set well with the world in which we live in. With our human reasoning and our rationalization, it's not going to set well with us and we're going to question it and say, God, are you sure? That doesn't make sense. That sounds a little crazy to me. And so we have to determine what direction we're going to go into. We have to de decide what is going to determine our direction. And that's what we're going to be looking at today is determining our direction. What is it that is going to influence our decisions? What is it that we're going to lean on, that we are going to default back to in order to make decisions in how we're going to live this life, how we're going to go through this life? And so I want to take this passage and look at three priorities that the world puts forth. And then I want to look at Jesus' three priorities that we find in this passage, okay? And so there's three things that the world does, three things that Jesus does, and we're going to compare the two of those. And so hopefully, uh, hopefully this will all uh, make sense for us whenever we get to the end of it, okay? And so the first thing that we see here whenever we're talking about determining our direction is oftentimes we determine our direction based on prosperity. Mm. We determine our direction based on prosperity. And what I mean by that is the disciples were making sense of Jesus's direction that he was going in. They were trying to figure out what Jesus should do based on what is going to give them the results they're looking for. They have all these ideas, they have all these desires, and they say, okay, 
if we're going to decide the direction that we need to go in here, Jesus, which one is going to net us the most growth? Which one's going to give us the most followers? Where are we going to gain influence? Where are we going to prosper at? And the disciples looked at Jesus and they said, it's not Samaria. It's not Galilee. If we're looking for prosperity in this ministry that Jesus had, we would be looking to Jerusalem. We'd be looking in Judea. You'd be looking where the people were, where the religion was, where all of these things were going on. You wouldn't squander that by going to Samaria and Galilee. That wouldn't make sense. And so if you left the crowds, all of the things that they had been building would fall apart, according to the disciples. He would be bankrupting all of the, all of what they had been accumulating so far. And so up in Galilee, there wasn't near as many people to draw from. In Samaria, they were completely uh, outside of Israel, right? If you were trying to create a movement amongst the Jews, why would you go to the non-Jews in order to do that and ruin their reputation? And so they said, this isn't going to prosper us. We can't go this direction. In verse number one of chapter four, it says, when therefore the Lord knew. That's something simple enough, right? Mm -hmm. Jesus knew something that they didn't. Jesus knew something that the rest of the disciples weren't factoring in. And so if we be honest with ourselves, God knows lots of things that we don't. Our information, our understanding, our wisdom is very limited. And so if Jesus had stayed in Jerusalem, what would have happened? Yes, his numbers would have increased, but so would the hatred of the Jewish leaders. Jesus had a time frame that he was working with. He had a plan between him and his father before he ever came to this earth. He had a date set down of when he was going to be offered up on the Passover. Remember? And if he would have stayed in Jerusalem, it would have hurried things along. It would have rushed things along. And he wouldn't have put in the time and the discipling and laid the foundation and the groundwork to cause the church to be born and to be built like it was. Instead, he would have went to the cross and more than likely, it, Christianity would have been a Jewish sect or it would have disappeared altogether. But instead, Jesus calls this to expand beyond Jerusalem, beyond Judea. He showed his disciples that this wasn't just a Jewish sect, that it was about the entire world, that for God so loved the world, not just Jerusalem. And he spent years pouring into these people and expanding his influence and building something greater than what the disciples had in mind. They didn't see what he was doing. They didn't understand what he had going on. As they were questioning him and his timing and his direction and his route that he was taking, Jesus knew a lot of things that they didn't. And so they were saying, what is the most profitable way to go about this? And Ultimately, Jesus knew. Mm -hmm. If he would have followed the disciples' idea, we wouldn't be here today. <laughs> right? But because he knew, he did things differently than what they expected. He saw prosperity in a way they didn't. He measured it by different ways than what they did. And so in our lives, we often make decisions on what we think is going to benefit us the most. What's going to give us the most money? What's going to give us the most power or influence? What's going to give us greater happiness? What's going to fulfill our dreams? What's going to fulfill our desires? Mm -hmm. 
And with that, it's a selfish and unfulfilling motivation. But as I've said already, we lack the proper information to make this decision. There are so many things that can go wrong. So many things that's not going to happen. Our best laid plans fall apart. And so we might have our map, our journey, all plotted out and say, God, this is where I want to end up. This is the direction I want to go in. This is what I want to have happen. And God sees the pitfalls along the way. God knows that our timing needs adjusted, that our route needs adjusted. He knows there are things that's going to uh, throw us completely off course if we go about it our own way. Mm -hmm. And so he will lead us in other ways. Just as I'm saying this, I was thinking about the, the 23rd Psalm. It says, Yea, though he lead me through the valley of the shadow of death. Wait, God, that was not on my roadmap. That's not where I wanted to go. If we plot it out, do we ever go through the valley of the shadow of death? No. <laughs> but is it sometimes God's will to send us through there? Yes. See, God leads us on different ways. And we say, God, this doesn't look like it's going to prosper me. This doesn't look like it's going to benefit me. And God says, yes, it will. Trust me. Though you lead me through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For thou art with me. Though he leads me through Samaria... Though he leads me away from my plans and my hopes and my dreams down here in Jerusalem and takes me up into the hill country of Galilee, I think I'll just trust him because he knows what he's doing and I don't. And so we can't make our decisions based on prosperity. Second thing that we find in here is we make decisions based on popularity. Make decisions based on popularity. You know, if Jesus would have taken a poll and asked his disciples, what do you think we should do? Not a single one of them would have said to go to Galilee, and they definitely wouldn't have chosen to go through Samaria. Right. It wasn't the popular choice. Everyone looking on, Jew and Gentile, disciple and Pharisee, any of them would have looked at this and said it was foolish all of them would have voted against this. All of them would have said with one accord, this is not the way that you need to go. And so no one would have chosen this timing. No one would have chosen this direction. No one would have chosen this route. But we find in our lives that public opinion often plays a big role in the decisions we make. Mm -hmm. Whenever we are at the crossroads, whenever there is a decision we're trying to figure out, we are evaluating, what do other people do? How do other people approach this? What direction does it seem like most people are going in? And now I do know that the Bible says that in the multitude of counselors there is safety, but it's talking about good, godly counselors that's going to point you God's direction, right. not this world's. Right. But we look at it and say, what's the general consensus? What is the conventional wisdom in this? What does this world think of this? What direction does everyone else go? We all know that whenever we were kids, our parents probably ask us, if everyone else jumped off a bridge, would you? <laughs> and oftentimes, that's how we make our decisions. Everybody else is doing it. And so we're trying to get on the bandwagon. We're trying to go along with the crowds. We're trying to uh, fit in with everyone else. We're trying to go with the flow, if you will. And we don't want 
to rock the boat. We don't want to go against the way that everybody else is going. But God's way is often unpopular. People may claim to love God. They may claim to serve God. But they only do it whenever it benefits them. But if you truly love God, if you truly follow his principles and seek to follow him, you'll sometimes find yourself walking alone. You'll sometimes find yourself going upstream. You'll sometimes find yourself leaving the crowd and going through Samaria. And so we can't make our decisions based on what is profitable or based on what is popular. And we can't make our decisions based on prejudice. Because if you look at this here, one of the reasons why the disciples would have been so against this decision is because they hated the Samaritans. There was a prejudice there. And so Jesus was going right in the direction that none of them wanted to go. And even when they got to Samaria, guess what? Jesus went to a woman that even the Samaritans didn't like. So Jesus went to someone who was a reject amongst the rejects. And the disciples were being drug kicking and screaming, figuratively speaking, because they had prejudices. And usually when we think of prejudices, we think of racial prejudices like we see here, right? But you know, we have many other prejudices other than just racial prejudices. Whenever we look at this here, we, rather than just associate it with racism, unpopular things that we don't like, we already have established opinions about, and we take those off of the table. I have a decision to make, and I've already determined I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to go there. I don't want to be around them. I'm not going to. And so we put all of these things off the table and say, okay, God, anywhere but there. Anyone but them. Anytime but then. Don't we do that? We have prejudices. We have predisposed. We have predecided what we will and we won't do. And we say, okay, God, I want your will as long as it fits in my box. I want your will as long as it makes sense to me. God, I want your will as long as it doesn't brush up against these things that I don't like, that make me uncomfortable. And so I have prejudices that are causing me to make my decisions. And that plays out in many different areas in our lives. You think about different decisions you have to make. Uh, You say, okay, well, I need to find a new job. Okay, God, I need a new job. I'll take any job, but I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to work with them. I don't want to be around these people. But anything else, God, I'm willing to do. God, I'll, I, I want to live where you want me to live, but I'm not going to move there. God, I want to serve you. And this, this could be an example for me as, as a pastor, as a missionary. God, I'll go anywhere in this world, but don't send me there. We have prejudices. We have these preconceived notions of what we will and we will not do. And we say, God, okay, you got to play by my rules. I'm going to make the decisions based upon things that I've already taken off of the table. And what happens whenever you've already taken God's will off the table? Before me and Les was dating, I chased her for years and years and years. And guess what? She was saying, there's not a guy around. I don't know who in the world God needs to send me someone And I was chasing her the whole time, and she said, he's not an option. Anyone but him. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Anyone but him. God says, okay, I got the perfect guy for you. Anyway, we have prejudices. And so these will keep us from 
making good decisions. So we don't make our decisions based on uh, prosperity, based on popularity, based on prejudices. And in these things, we see an example of how our decisions and our, how our direction is often chosen. We look at it and say, yeah, I think that's going to benefit me. Hey, everybody else talks good about that. Everybody else seems to approve that. Yeah, I'm going to go that way. Hey, I'm, I'm going to avoid the thing I don't like, so I'm not going to go there. And so we're going to make our decisions based on that. And you could add plenty of other things to that. Those aren't the only three that we use in making decisions, but those are three that we see in this passage. But to clarify, I'm not saying that we do the opposite either. I want to go out and say, okay, I've got a decision to make. Let me do what's unpopular. Everybody else is going that way. I'm going to go this way because that's got to be God's will. No, that's not what I'm saying. Well, that way seems prosperous. So I want to go the way that looks like it's going to bankrupt me. No, that's not what I'm saying. Okay, well, I've got these prejudices. So God's going to have me to go the way that's exactly the opposite of what I want to do. So I won't go that. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is these are poor things to prioritize in making our decisions. Whenever we say, this is how I'm making my decisions, these are what's most important to me in making my decisions, you are going to make a bad decision. You're going to get going in a wrong direction. So these things can't determine your decision one way or the other. But let's look at Jesus' priorities. How did Jesus make his decision to do something that seemed unprofitable, unpopular, and very prejudiced. How did he make this decision? We find that the most important thing to Jesus was always that he pleased the Father. Jesus says, I do always the things that please the Father. And so his top priority was following God's will. It wasn't about the will of men. It wasn't about what their priority was. It wasn't about what they thought was most important. He was seeking to do what God wanted him to do. And in this moment, he knew what God wanted, and man's opinions were irrelevant. And so in our lives, we need to prioritize what pleases God. As we read God's Word, we learn of the things that do please God and the things that don't please God. And whenever we have a decision that comes up, and we can put put it through the the filter, I guess you could say, of God's word and of God's will and say, if it goes against God's word, if it is not compatible with the things that I know about God, then that's not the direction I'm going in. And if it is compatible with the things of God, that's the direction I want to go in, even if it's not popular, even if it doesn't seem that it's going to get me where I think I need to be, I want to be where God wants me to be. So it doesn't matter what's popular or prosperous. If it goes against godly principles, I'm not going that direction. Also, we find that whenever God does direct, whenever God reveals his will and he shows us what he has for us to do, it doesn't matter what everybody else thinks about it. It doesn't matter about how we evaluate it and whether it's going to prosper us. Whenever God leads us in that direction, we need to trust him that he knows what he's doing and where he's leading us and that he's going to take care of us when we get there. And so we know his, his way is good and that it's right. He knows more than what we do. And even if it doesn't make per sense from our perspective, it makes sense from his. Just as a personal example, whenever the Lord sent us to Ireland, 
there were plenty of people that said it was foolish. There were plenty of people, and there are still people. It wasn't a popular decision, okay? But we knew it was God's will. And so we had no choice to make. Do we trust God and go with him? Or do we try to cling to those things which seem to be prosperous and popular? And so we have followed God and he has brought us to this place. And hopefully you're glad that he did. Okay? It makes sense from his perspective, even if it doesn't from ours. So the first thing is that he pleased God. The second thing, he provoked his disciples. He provoked his disciples. The Bible tells us that we are to uh, provoke one, consider one another and provoke one another to love and to good works, right? right? We've talked about that in the past. And so as Jesus was leading his disciples, he says, yes, my ministry is growing, my influence is growing, the crowds are growing, but I want my disciples to be growing. He was seeking their health, their maturity, not necessarily what was going to make him a name or draw him a crowd. He says, these people who are following me are needing to grow. See, Jesus had in mind more than just a localized ministry. He had the world in his heart and in his mind. He didn't come just to die for the Jew. He came to die for the Gentile. Mm -hmm. But his disciples were very prejudiced. And so for him to take them up to Samaria, I think he had fun with it. Because Jesus wasn't prejudiced, but they were. And could you imagine them squirming going through Samaria? Could you imagine the thoughts that were going through their minds and probably the words that were coming out of their mouth? You ever been around someone who was racist? And you get fed up with hearing the things, and you see them get put in an uncomfortable situation, you just sit back and smile? It's fun. And so Jesus says, these guys need stretched a little bit. These guys need to grow a little bit. And so I'm going to take them out of their comfort zone. I'm going to take them out of this place where they think that they are doing so good and they think they're at the top of the heap. And I'm going to take them up here into Samaria amongst the people that they don't like. And I'm going to cause them to spend some time around these people. And I'm going to love on these people. And they're going to see me loving on these people and they're going to have to stay with these people and eat with these people and spend time with these people so that they know that I'm about more than what they thought I was about. And so as we're making decisions, as we're determining our direction in our life, we have to realize that there are people who are following us. There are people who are looking to us and sometimes we have to consider when we're making our decision how our decision is going to affect those who are looking at us. How it's going to affect those who are following behind us. Because we want to provoke fellow believers to grow in their faith, to draw closer to God. And sometimes what we are doing is going to be bringing them along with us to provoke them to love and to good works. We're going to be doing things that we know is right that they're going to question so that they can see God's hand in it, so that they can see God working in it, so that they can grow in their walk with God. And sometimes God leads us into places for the benefit of others. And that's one of the things that they never factored into it. And so as God is leading us, maybe the places that he's leading us, he's leading us there for the benefit of others. Maybe there are people that he is leading you to, or leading you along with 
that need you as an example before them, that need you to show them God in your life and how to follow God in your life so they can learn how to follow God in theirs. And so he he prioritized these things. He wanted God's will. He wanted to strengthen the brethren. He wanted to provoke his disciples. And then the third thing that we see here is he pursued the lost. He says, yeah, I'm around the Jews here in Jerusalem, and they're coming after the miracles. They're coming after uh, the loaves and the fishes and after the cleansing of the diseases. They're coming to jump on uh, this movement that's going on. They want to be freed from the Romans. They want all these different things. But he says, I come to seek and to save that which is lost. He says, I'm not coming for a political movement. I'm not coming for a religious movement. I am coming for the souls of those who are lost. And so whenever uh, we look at this passage here, our decisions often have an effect on those who don't know Jesus. Whenever I'm making decisions, I've got to realize that there are always people watching me. And you say, well, that's not fair. Why can't I just live my own life? Remember what we talked about in Sunday school? We're stewards, aren't we? We are lights. We are salt in this world, right? We are witnesses for him. We are ambassadors for him. And so Jesus went out of his way to show love and compassion and hope to one that needed it. He didn't have to do that. He could have stayed in Jerusalem. He could have had all the crowds flocking to him. He could have been Mr. Popularity. But he says, there's a woman up in Samaria. I must needs go through Samaria. So it doesn't mean that we have to quit our jobs and, go, and be missionaries. It doesn't mean that Jesus is all that we talk about. It means that as we are making decisions, as we are determining our direction, we are considering others in the decisions that we make. We are saying, how does this affect those around me? How does this affect those whose lives mine interconnects with? And so we are looking at these decisions and we are making them for the benefit of others. And so we consider the impact that we make on those around us by the things that we choose to do and the things that we choose not to do. We talked about the verse that all things are lawful for me, but not all things are expedient. And so I start looking at things and say, I could do this, but you know, I've been witnessing to that person, and if I do this in front of them, then that might be a stumbling block or a hindrance to them. Right. So I'm going to choose not to do that, right? On a personal note, as a preacher here in Ireland, I could pack up. I could take my family. We could go back to the States. I could resume my life that we had there. But you know what? I'd have to consider the effect that it has on those here. How would it affect the church folks? Would it provoke you to love and to good works? Is it going to increase you? Is it going to help you? What about the community here in Longford? Whenever the, I'm not here and the church struggles, maybe closes, how does my decisions, my direction affect other people? Mm-hmm. First and foremost, I know it's God's will for me to be here. Right. And I want to impact the lives of others. Mm-hmm. So what decision am I going to make? We'll stick around. Whether you like it or not. Okay, And that's just an example, but how does our life affect other people? 
And so to summarize all that we've been looking at today, don't live to please others and to benefit yourself. Isn't that what the world does? We please people and we try to prosper ourselves. Instead, live to please God and benefit others. Yes. Live to please God and benefit others. And so we find that we must needs go through Samaria. Mm -hmm. We determine our direction based on godly principles rather than all of these ways that the world tries to figure out their way. Yeah. Rather than our plotting and our planning and our scheming, we look to God and we do the things that build up others and bring others to Christ. That is our priorities. And so I encourage you, consider this as sometimes the way that God leads us. Sometimes the place that he has us in may not be exactly where we want to be at the moment. Mm -hmm. It may not make sense. We may ask God why. But like Emily sung there earlier, sometimes God's will and his way, sometimes the troubles are his blessings in disguise. Right? He has things for us to do. He has a direction for us to go in. Make sure you are making your decisions based on the right things. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we come to you today. Thank you for your many blessings. Lord, we thank you for this passage that we see here, Lord. And uh, Lord, I, I don't know about everyone else, but I'm entertained a lot of times by the, the way that you interact with people and with your disciples in the in the scriptures, Lord. And Lord, as you uh, time after time you can you confuse them and uh, you uh, do things that are counterintuitive to our human minds, Lord. And Lord, we see in the end you know what you're doing and it shouldn't surprise us. Lord, help us to realize that your ways are best. Help us, Lord, not to fall into these faulty, uh, faulty ways of thinking, these faulty principles for determining our direction. And instead, Lord, let's determine our direction based on what pleases you. What, uh, what draws people closer to you and what points the loss to you, Lord. And Lord, I just pray that you guide and direct us in these things. We thank you for all you do. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.